0: I'm singing my sorrow, I'm singing my rage, I'm singing this fear out and I'll sing it over and over again. Welcome to Change Making Women, the podcast for women who make a difference. With Siada Bade in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania and Marianne Clements in London in the UK. So, hi and welcome to Changemaking Women, i um, Marianne Clements. And uh, my name is Yadda and I'm podcasting from Salaam Yeah, and we also have a guest with us this evening who is Beverly Glick. Um, Beverly is a good and dear friend of mine. We started something called The Story Party together just almost five years ago now, so we might talk about that a bit on the show this evening. And Bev mm-hmm. is as the story archaeologist so she works with people around telling and sharing their stories and there's a reason why she does that and a story of her own that i think she might tell us a little bit about this evening so welcome Bev. it's great to have you here
1: it's a great pleasure to be here thank you for inviting me
0: you're very welcome. So I think I gave a little bit of a an intro, but it would be nice for people to hear both where you are mm-hmm. and just in your words something about yourself and what you do in the world.
1: Okay. So I'm calling in from Amersham in Buckinghamshire, which mm-hmm. is just outside London, northwest of London. Mm-hmm. And What can I say about myself? I suppose I should go back to the beginning, which is when I first started in the business of storytelling, which was in the late 70s. I had the great good fortune to work for a music paper. I wasn't a writer at the time. I was the editor's secretary. And because of the the nature of that time, just after punk, when there was this real kind of free attitude about, hey, you know, you don't need to know how to play a guitar. You can just get up on stage and do it. Well, that stretched to the music press as well. So all you needed to be able to do was be a fan with a pen and be able to string a sentence together. Mm -hmm. And you could be a music journalist. So I really benefited from that kind of attitude. And after a couple of years of being the editor's secretary, I got a job as a staff writer on a now defunct music paper called Sounds. And it was a really exciting time to be a music journalist because it was at the beginning of the 80s. Uh, there was a lot of unemployment around at that time, but there was a very colourful scene going on in London, which evolved into what was to be called the New Romantics, which is a term that I actually coined. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, looking back now, that's... that's when I first started to develop this instinct for creating a story around a scene or an artist. So the New Romantics kind of encapsulated everything that was going on, on that club, in the club scene in, in the early 80s. So that was my first experience of, of creating a story. Um, and of course, I interviewed many musicians over the years as well. Some of them were absolutely brilliant at telling their stories like Boy George and Mark Holman, but a lot of them weren't because a lot of musicians were very much into their music and they didn't think they should have to explain their lyrics. So it was left to me to kind of tease a story out of them. So I was kind of responsible for creating the stories, the myths around a lot of these artists. And... So I, I had a long career in journalism. I, after I worked for the music, music press, I worked for a variety of national newspapers, so, so work, mostly working on other people's stories at that time. And it was re- only really much later in my career that I decided I wanted to train to be a coach. I'd achieved everything I wanted to do in journalism, really, and I really wanted to move into personal development. So I trained as a coach, I realised that I... I'd never run a business before and I joined a community that was run by a guy called Nick Williams, who is an author. He wrote a book called the work we were born to do. And it was, it was he that pointed out to me that I had all of this knowledge about storytelling, about what makes a great story, about how I could help other people find stories to tell, that, that I could then put with my, my newly acquired coaching skills and that's how i came up with this idea of story archaeology which is actually something that nick came up with he said i know what you are you're a story archaeologist <laughs> and it, it, it's it what that means is that i literally help people dig into their life stories to help them on many levels it can be anything from someone who wants to find stories to promote their businesses to to someone who is carrying a story around that they need to share to speak out so it can be a very healing experience so it, it works on many levels but I use all of the the editing and journalistic skills that, that I've learned over the years along with my coaching skills so it's it's quite a unique offering in that sense because I don't think there's many journalists who who've become coaches <laughs> so it's great territory for me
0: I've got so many things I want to say and ask you. Yeah. It's quite interesting. But before you ask, Marianne, I am quite interested in knowing why, why the title um Story Archaeologist.
1: So that's, that really came about because of the, from this, this idea that if you dig down through the layers of someone's life, you can find all sorts of buried treasure. And it might not look like treasure to begin with. It's much like on an archaeological dig. You might find an object that was dusty and ingrained with dirt. But once you cleaned, started to very painstakingly clean it, you could start to see that it was actually something really valuable. So that I use that as a metaphor because that really quite accurately describes the process that I use when I help people dig into their life stories. You know, they might initially dismiss something as not being a value. And it's only when we very carefully examine it that it becomes clearer that this is something that's precious. Mm-hmm. So that's why, that's why, that's why I use the archeology span metaphor. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Quite Interesting. I um I wanted to dig a little bit into your story, Bev, before we talk a bit more about your work, because um this whole thing about the New Romantics, just for anyone who's listening who either, you know, might, might not have been in this country at that time or is too young to remember the New Romantics or remembers them and is like, what do you mean you coined the term? And I my, my thing with this is always that I was like, a young girl in the 80s and I was totally enamored with the music scene and the music press and I yeah so I always feel quite excited about that bit of your story <laughs> and just want to dig a little bit into it like uh tell us about the neuromantics what it was and how you coined it and just uh, yeah 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 just give us, um, give us yours. <laughs> this, is, this is
1: what happened I got my first job in journalism in the summer of 1980 and my editor had heard of a band called Spandau Ballet. And at that time, they were just like the coolest band in London. Mm-hmm. They they didn't like the music, the conventional music press. They weren't interested in being covered by the music papers because they associated it with, you know, old-fashioned rock and roll, you know, guys in denim. and And they were young... Stylish Londoners, very art school, very fashion school types, mm-hmm. and he said to me, "Right, your first assignment is to get an interview with Spandau Ballet." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I knew this was not going to be easy, but it was my first. It was my first assignment. And I had to do it somehow. Mm-hmm. So I got in touch with their manager and told him that I was interested in, in writing about the band and I had to jump through several hoops before he agreed. Uh, but I think the reason that they let me do it was because they could see I wasn't your, like your traditional music journalist. I, I didn't have long hair and I didn't wear denim jackets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I was, I was you now my early twenties. I was relatively stylish. Uh, they could also see that I was a bit of a blank canvas, That they would be able to pretty much tell me what they wanted me to say. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of so grateful that they would speak to me in the first place that, that it worked both ways. Yeah. And the, the idea of the neuromantics had been, I'm sure, had been in the ether. It had been talked about. Of course, this would never happen now because it would be on Twitter within five seconds of someone thinking about it. It would be a hashtag. Mm. But in those days, obviously, things took much longer to get into print. And I'm pretty sure I'd heard it spoken about. But the, the interview that was published in September 1980 that I, that I did with Spandau Ballet, the the headline was the the new romantics. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was the first time it had ever, ever made it into print. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And Gary Kemp, who's the, the, who's the uh, kind of leader of Spandau Ballet said to me years later, uh, we are, he said, we argued about this for ages, but that was, we, we had to admit that that was the first time that it had had ever been seen in print. And so he credited credited it to me in his book. Mm (laughs) Cool. <laughs> I love that
0: yeah that's all my like fascination with eighties yeah out. so <laughs> let's move back to what you're doing now because um I'm I'm really interested in knowing a little bit more maybe about the kind of process maybe you use with people um yeah. to do the digging which I think is a brilliant metaphor, but like, what does it look like to do that digging with someone?
1: What I usually do is I give people an exercise to, to go away and prepare them to prepare the ground, if you like, Mm -hmm. before we start digging. And it's an exercise that I call the journey of change. And it points them back to different phases of their life, you know, from, birth till seven, 7 and 7 to 14 in seven year, if you like. Mm-hmm. And what I asked them to do is to, to think back to the significant events of their lives and just say, you know, where, where were you? What was going on before the event happened? What happened? And how they changed as a result. Mm-hmm. So a, 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 very, a very simple three-step process which just gets them to really start to think, okay, what was it that happened in those phases of my life that are coming up in my mind right now? And generally speaking, people will remember the significant moments, the pivotal Mm -hmm. events. Quite often, that will bring up situations and events which surprise them. They think, oh, God, why am I... Why am I thinking about that right now? And I always say to them, whatever comes up is meant to come up. Mm. So, and some people say, oh, gosh, I could hardly remember anything from my childhood. Or I don't know what happened between the ages of 14 and 21. Mm. Uh, and it's like, that's okay. Your unconscious mind is presenting you with whatever it needs to present you with at that moment. Mm. And that's the story that you need to be working with. So mm-hmm. that prepares the ground. So when they when they sitting in front of me, they've already gone through that process, and that will quite often bring up a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. will give me, you know, I won't mm-hmm. be trying to uh, dig into hard ground. I've already prepared it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that's just to continue the metaphor. <laughs>
0: So just to, uh, just to clarify
1: and make our, li- our listeners um, understand more on the subject. So before they, they come to you, it's like you're giving them a leeway to sort of rearrange their thoughts? Yes, in a way, because yeah. a, a, life, a life is a series of, of stories, really.
0: Mm-mm-mm.
1: And your perspective on your, the stories of your life will change according to... Where you're standing right now. Absolutely. So Mm. it gives them that opportunity at that moment in time when they've come to me and they want to do this to look back at their lives and see what just see what they see. Mm.
0: And what jumps right now out at them as being the significant things, I guess. Yeah. That's right.
1: Yeah. So that's so that's so that's why that's why I do it. Because a story, a life story is not set in stone. Just like memories are not set in stone. Yeah. We, we tend to believe that memories some, are somehow stored on a hard drive in our brains, but that's not how memories work. Uh, memories are fluid and they will change according to your perception of that, of, of the moment uh, of where you are now and how you're looking back on that memory. And it will... Replay itself, not exactly the same each time So there's a lot to do with perception and how you're perceiving your life
0: Mm. And so they come with they come having done this work and then you walk people through a a process while they're with you as well Um
1: Yeah, yeah
0: form the stories into into something else Um. Tell us a bit about that, and also, I've got a related question. I'm going to give them together, (laughs) which is like, what do you see as the 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 impact going through this sort of process can have? And and I guess it it may vary for different people, but I'm interested in the impact. Yeah.
1: So the the process from from the moment that that person has come to sit sit opposite me, I think of it like. uh, a funnel, mm. so at the top of the funnel, it's in it, it, a very sp- spacious, intuitive feel mm. where I'm actually just mostly listening. yeah so that, that that person is telling whatever story they want to tell, and it's always their choice. I don't make them tell any, tell me anything they don't want to tell me. It's their choice what what stories they share. So I just create that very safe space in which they can speak. And I will be listening for many things. I'll be listening for what they are, obviously what they are saying. I'll be listening for what they're not saying. Sometimes I I can sense that there's a story underneath the story they're telling me that they're not quite telling me. Mm. And I'll also be listening for themes and patterns, which is very difficult for that person to see because they're too in the story. Mm. So that's how it starts. And as as the process continues, we get more and more tangible. So it starts in that open spaciousness and then becomes more and more tangible as the stories are shared. So that by the end of the day, we've got to the point where we're working on the practical outcomes like, you know, say, okay, what do you want to do with this story now? That's mm-hmm. often what happens. Mm-hmm. Although I, I have worked with clients who really have just wanted to share the story, the whole mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. without any particular outcome in mind, other than please, I just want to sit here and I want you to hear my story. Mm-hmm. And there's huge power in listening and witnessing. And there's also huge power in speaking out your story to a completely non-judgmental witness.
0: Mm.
1: So if you think about it, how many people get that opportunity or give themselves permission to share what, what has been, in some instances, with some clients, their entire life story I mean that, that's actually a really unusual thing for anyone to do. Yeah. it's hugely powerful and healing, and I always honor that process, and I hold the story, and it's, I know it's a precious thing.
0: Mm.
1: So I'm not sure if that answered your question
0: it went a very long way towards answering it. And I think, <laughs> and I see like, there's like a couple of things that can come out of it. Like that, in fact, that there's a lot just in that experience of hear, of listening, as you just said. And then it sounds like for some people, then there's also the going on to tell the story or bits of the story in other ways, which sort of brings me neatly to the thing we did together, have done
1: together, <laughs> the story party.
0: Speaking of of story parties, tell us a bit, a bit about that. Why the idea story party? How did the idea come about? What usually happens in the story party?
1: The story of the story party. Well, the story of the story party started with you, Marianne, didn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, I believe so. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I was actually there was a story party in London last week and I was telling the story of the story party last week and I thought, oh let me see if I can find that email that I got from Mary And oh, I did. Yeah. It was like still got the email from Mary Ann. It was a few weeks after we'd both finished the uh, the Inspiring Speakers program with public speaking course that we'd both done for six months. And she said to me, I've got this idea that just won't go away. (laughs) And I thought I'd share it with you. Would you be interested in joining up with me to see if we could host a storytelling event in London that would just give everybody, anybody, the opportunity to come and share a a personal story? And I said, oh, I'm glad you didn't let that one go away because that's a great idea. And that's how it started. (laughs) So it was Marianne's brilliant mind that came up with this. So we, we started talking about it and did a bit of brainstorming. I come, came up with a name and uh, we decided to do the first story party in a private room of a restaurant in London and we invited about 25 people and it went really well, didn't it, Marianne? It, was, it did. Everybody it did. loved it.
0: Yeah, and that was and it, that was yeah, nearly five years ago,
1: right? And you know, it, you, I would just never have believed that I would have been running an event that wasn't on my radar. Mm-hmm. At all. And uh, it was actually Marianne really gave me the confidence that we could do it because she'd done. I mean, you have done events before, haven't you? Marianne? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It gave me the confidence that, that this would work. But really, the, the whole point of it was just to give people that access point. If you want to share something personal from your life, we're going to give you the space to do that. And not just that, we're going to give you a really safe, supportive space. We always set it up very carefully with the audience. We actually directly ask the audience to listen from their hearts mm-hmm. and to hold the, spe- hold the speaker, hold the storyteller. Because it's not a one-way process it's it's a dialogue it's a connection between storyteller and audience and there's kind of an energetic flow between them so it's it's like a whole process it's not you can't separate one from the other Mm. so we always make sure that the audience feel just as important as as the as the storyteller so it's it might seem Mm. passive because people just come along and listen to stories but it's not passive at all so what the audience is doing is is in some sense is similar to what I do with my clients although obviously it's much more focused and uh, the space is held in a slightly different way but it's the same idea we're getting we are asking the audience to hold the space for the storyteller yeah. and it, it's been incredible what's come out mm-hmm. of it
0: yeah and so I, I was just going to add that the thing that I really realized as we started doing it was that piece that there was this amazing value in sharing your story with an audience Mm -hmm. that i hadn't i mean when i came up with the idea it it came to me as or wouldn't it be amazing people sharing their stories in an event an evening event a kind of you know just wouldn't that be a cool idea you know not not thinking so deeply about it but the thing that really um struck me as we once we've done a few of them was this piece of like People are getting so much out of the experience of being able to do something which we generally don't do, right? Which is to stand and share a story with an audience. And obviously, it's not like what Bev was describing with a whole day where you tell your story where the space is completely sort of safe and non judgmental entirely because you are in an audience in a room of people that you don't necessarily know them all. You're probably going to know some of them, but definitely, you know, and and if you invite people to come with you, then yes, you might know some of them well, but a lot of them you might not know, but there's a way that, and Bev is brilliant at this, that um, an environment is created where we're not really invite, we're not inviting the listeners to critique stories Uh. or kind of, I don't know, ask lots of questions about them. We're inviting people to hear them in a, in that way. And so, as Bev says, I guess we're also inviting in the audience a a kind of listening that's not actually that common in our culture either. So, yeah. yeah, but that all grew really out of your genius, Bev. <laughs> I just had an idea that we should... That's so kind of you. I think were to tell stories.
1: <laughs> oh, we did, we did build it together, though. Yeah, we, yeah. we did fair. build it together. <laughs> That's uh, fair. Yeah, that, you know, that, mm-hmm. the, the, the initial energy of it. And when we, when we saw the, the power of of people sharing stories in that way, storytellers and the audience and the connection that... that it created I think we really thought oh you know we're really onto something here because if someone stands there and shares a story in that way even if you know that person quite well you quite often will find something to know about that person that you didn't Mm. in 10 minutes because we we only give people 10 minutes to to share their stories and if I may I'll share an example that's very close to home so About 18 months ago, my sister came to me and said, I've wanted to tell a story at the story party for a while, uh, but I I haven't known what to share. But I know what it is now, uh, and it fits your theme, and I want to do it. So I said, great. I had no idea what she was going to talk about. She'd said to to me and my brother and my brother-in-law and my niece, I just want you to be there. You have to be there. Uh, I'm not going to tell you any more about it. I'm going to tell my story once and then I never never want to talk about it again. So it was like, oh my God, what's she going to to say? We, We had no idea. My sister's a very private person. So it was unusual, say the least. So we had an inkling about what she might talk about, but we didn't really know. So she got up and she told a story about the abuse that she'd suffered in her first marriage. Now we all knew... A part of the story, but she'd not, never really spoken about it before. And we had no idea of the scale of it. And she told the story that night, and her whole family was there to support her. And she said, Right, I've done it now. I don't want to talk about it again. And she emailed me the next day and she thanked me for giving her the opportunity. And she said it was hugely cathartic and that she felt that she had unburdened her soul and I just thought wow I just never imagined that I would be able to do that for my sister to give her that space to do that she's not the sort of person that would ever have confided in me one-to-one and yet she would do that in front of an audience of people she didn't know and to have that response I just thought that has made it all worthwhile absolutely yeah she was just able to let go of that Mm -hmm. but and, and that just really for me, brought to mind the Maya Angelou quote, which mm. is, um, the, you know, the agony of burying an untold story inside you. So that's what my sister had been doing.
0: And I think that's so interesting um, that sometimes it's there's, there's something about telling it to the group mm. That's, mm. Um, that's maybe, like I I've, I've always think of it as harder to do that than tell someone one-to-one, but actually sometimes, um there's something about the group like in that example with your sister where mm. there's something about the the group and the environment in which we're inviting stories to be told that made it enabling and because it's not a conversation because mm. i think what if i start telling for example my sister or, or someone close to me a story once one, then you you get into a you might get into a dialogue and you and and if it's something very poignant and And big, you might not want that dialogue, you actually just want to be heard, and that's the kind of space that the story party creates for people. It's really special, I think.
1: She just wanted it to be heard, and that was it. Yes, as you say, she didn't want to enter into a dialogue about it, she just wanted to speak it out.
0: Thinking about your work as a whole around story, and I know there's a few other things you do, and you can tell us, you know, touch on those as well if you want to, but just thinking about your work as a whole, like what difference do you think you want to make or feel that you make with this the the work with people around their stories like thinking of it in like a a slightly broader, like taking a bit of a step back from the individual Mm -hmm. individual stories of change but like how how do you feel like storytelling can kind of have an
1: impact or do you feel it can and if so how (laughs) Well absolutely I believe it can and, and it does and I see it happening mm. and that's the, that's the, the joy of, of the story party for me because I see it happening every time you mm. get up to share a story. I, I see how it changes then and how it impacts on the audience mm. and for me the, 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 the change that the difference that storytelling can make really goes back to the roots of storytelling. Uh, when it was a it was something that we did around a campfire when it was a, a something that we did with our tribe so for me i i think of storytelling as the primal technology it it was this, it was the social media when we were sitting around campfires it was the way we communicated it was the way we passed around knowledge it was the only way for for many thousands of years apart from cave paintings we there was there's something so powerful for me in the oral oral tradition mm-hmm. so and I think that still stands in the, in the difference it can make there's something about speaking out your story that is incredibly powerful I mean I, I love writing as well but and that's mm. powerful in its own way but I think there's something about oral storytelling that's still hugely powerful and we've seen it mm. A lot in the past few months with the Me Too movement with women uh, speaking out about their experiences with sexual harassment and just to see some of the, those women actually being able to share their stories for the first time without judgment like the women who did it in the courtroom recently in America and, uh the the women that have accused Bill Cosby I mean just the just the being able to share their stories and know that they have not, they have been witnessed and just to literally speak the unspoken, that to me really demonstrates the power of storytelling.
0: I was just thinking for um, people listening who might be thinking, ooh, storytelling, this is really interesting, but I could never do that or I wouldn't know how, mm-hmm. to, how to do the, the actual telling of the story.
1: Yeah. It just...
0: Um, wanted to get a bit of your expert advice Bev, about um, how, um, how you sort of coach or invite people to share a story if it's something that they're not used to doing, you know, or speaking is not something they're used to doing. Like, what, it, what are your top tips for presenting stories to an audience? <laughs> well, I,
1: I, would, I would say think of it as a journey, so what was the journey that you went on? Mm. And it kind of refers back to that exercise that I do with my clients. It's like, okay, so where were you before that thing that you're going to tell the story about before that happened? Mm. So what was your life? What was life like for you before that turning point? Uh, what was the turning point? Uh, and then what did you learn as, as a result of that turning point? I mean, that's it in its simplest form, really. Mm-hmm. So, what I usually say to people is, if you, "Okay, so you've got you've got an idea for a story. It fits with the theme that we've that we've got the story party. Start in the story. I always say ask, tell people to start in the story. So, no big rambling introduction. Start <laughs> the story. Bring us into that moment with you. What's what was happening? Let us relive it with you. So, if if I can get people to think that way they're less likely to put in lots of irrelevant detail so okay let us experience that moment with re-experience that moment with you what's going on what's around you so I will quite often tell people to use the present tense when they're telling a story so tell it as if it's happening again now not always sometimes it has to be done in different tenses but that was always very powerful when people can do that so I just get them to think about, okay, what journey have you gone on? You know, why are you telling this story? Why do you want to tell this story? What, what from this story that you want to tell do you want to share some learning around? What, what can you then give back to the audience as a gift from this story? So it has to be a story that's, that's been, you've had that sense that you've come full circle with it. So there's no point in trying to tell a story that you feel hasn't quite finished yet. Mm. So I would always get them to think, okay, so is this a sort of fully completed story cycle that you can say what's going on at the beginning, what, what challenges you faced along that journey, and then what you learned at the end, and what you can then give back to the audience as something that you've learned from your own experience. That's the, the, general, the general picture. Yeah. not necessarily always follow that exactly, but that's how I would start with somebody.
0: Yeah, it's a bit different from, say, telling your story when you're in the a story about something that you're in the midst of, isn't it? Because yeah. in the story part, particularly, or even if you're writing a story, I guess, on a blog or something, you're looking for, like, a complete narrative that whoever's mm-hmm. listening or reading can kind of follow. Yeah. So if you're stuck in the middle of it, it doesn't work so well. And also, I would say, like, um, not all stories, particularly if they're currently painful, are, like, yeah something to
1: tell right now (laughs) absolutely agree I I always say this is not my quote but I always use it tell (laughs) a story your scars not your wounds yeah
0: exactly do you know whose quote it is I have no idea I, but I, wish,
1: I, I wish I could remember but I don't think I ever
0: um, <laughs> but it just, so, now, so none of you remember <laughs>
1: it's a good one anyway <laughs> good one. I think I saw it on a video or something I don't I don't remember who it was though maybe it's oral just really, tradition yeah it just encapsulates that idea that uh, if you're still feeling raw and wounded about this don't tell the story it's too soon. Yeah, I def-
0: I definitely, I definitely think that that's wise, wise counsel. Absolutely. So, I'm gonna jump into my favorite question. Go for it. You <laughs> go for it. <laughs> so, you know, when you're not storytelling, what do you do to take care of yourself? Ah,
1: okay. Uh-huh. So, uh, I I meditate. I'm very disciplined about it. I meditate twice a day. Mm. Not necessarily for a very long time, but I just feel it's important for me, my well-being, to just be disciplined and do it once in the morning and before I go to bed. So meditation is really important to me. I do yoga uh, three or four times a week, just a personal practice. And I make sure that I have the solitude that I need. Mm. Solitude is actually really important to me. I need it to reflect and to re-energize. And my, I'm an introvert, so that comes that's second nature to me, to want to have my own space. Mm. Uh, I think my extrovert friends find it hard to, to understand sometimes how, exactly how much solitude I can, I can bear. But I, can, I actually really, really value solitude. And this is not a lonely space. It's very much a space to reflect, a space to process my, my thoughts and emotions. It's part of a sort of um. energy self-care. So that's, that's how I look after myself.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Bev. I want to give you a chance to tell us where people can find you. And I know there's a few other things you do that we haven't even touched on this (laughs) evening, so feel free to mention them as well. Um, Yeah. Give us how to find Bev.
1: (laughs) You can find me at my website, which is beverlyglick.com. That's B-E-V-E-R-L-E-Y-G-L-I-C-K.com. Mm-hmm. So that will tell you all about Story Archaeology and the Story Party. My well, Story Party has also got a website, which is thestoryparty.co.uk. I'm at, digs, at idigstories on Twitter. And uh, idigstories on Facebook as well. And I'm also a public speaking coach and trainer. I work for a company called Ginger Training and Coaching... And you can find me on their website as well, gingerpublicspeaking.com.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Bev. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I reserved yeah.
1: you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. I love, I love having these kinds of conversations yeah. and you ask great questions.
0: <laughs> Good. Thank I you really so much. Yeah. And I've actually been inspired about a few stories of my own just while we're sitting here talking so thank you you. so (laughs) when's the next event
1: we haven't showed you yeah it probably will be in may okay uh, check there's also a story party group on facebook as well okay
0: i think i uh i think i have to go join that so yeah i I find out out more (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> what's going on because it's uh, um, it sounds really interesting and if you know if it's something that you know something that we can pick up and start doing something we like that here in Dar es Salaam we'll yeah so, yeah it would be yeah, great yeah that, that would really, be yeah. amazing yeah. <laughs> yeah. absolutely and our theme tune over and over was written and performed by Eleanor Brown who you can find at com.